listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to Monday. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. And at Queen's Park today, there is going to be a ceremony around 6.15 tonight that if I wasn't on television at the time, if I didn't have another job to be at, I would be at Queen's Park because, oh my goodness, it's going to be fun. Because what's happening, you heard about it in the news, Kathleen Wynne's portrait is being unveiled. And who's unveiling it? Who's giving the speech? Who's doing the whole thing? Who's doing it all? Doug Ford. And oh my goodness, is that ever going to be? Oh, it's going to be good. Because, you know, the two of them really don't, well, they don't just see Nazi eye to eye. I don't think they really particularly care for each other. And as much as Doug Ford has done a lot about, you know, being much more uh, accommodating, less combative, you know, friendly with Justin Trudeau, even after Trudeau made him a bit of a punching bag throughout the federal election campaign, this one is going to be weird. And I'll, I'll give you a, a bit of a scene setter here. Is So what happens is, and normally this takes a lot longer than this. So like, for example, you know, other premiers, it took a long time for their portraits to be finished and put up. This is pretty quick for Kathleen Wynne. And if you're a premier of this province, once you have finished serving, then you can get your portrait painted. And you get to choose who it is that paints your portrait. And then they put your portrait outside the premier's office. And there's a bunch of portraits there. And the more premiers they are, there are, the more you're shuffled down the hallway, you see. So, like, if you, you know, if you, Frank, you know, Frank Miller now is starting to really start being pushed down the hallway. Uh, you know, Bob Ray is getting further and further away from the actual premier's door. And throughout much of the liberal uh, tenure, the two paintings that were on either side of the cabinet room, where you go into the cabinet, and that's just, you know, kitty corner to where the premier's offices were both. Uh, conservative MPP or conservative premiers. It was Mike Harris and Ernie Eves that would flank the door on either side as you would go in. Now Dalton McGinty is there, and now Kathleen Wynne's going to be there. So now, for the progressive conservatives, for Doug Ford's government, as they go into the cabinet room, boom, paraliberals, either side. Hey, Talk how you doing? Rich. Talk about ironic. <laughs> Thank you so much, Premier. It's going to be fun down there tonight. It's going to be a good time. Especially considering, you know, how many times Doug Ford has blamed Kathleen Wynne for the financial woes of this province. And then you keep that in mind, and then you listen to this from the Ontario Financial Watchdog today, this morning, a press conference that says, quote, there is a significant risk that the progressive conservative government spending plan is going to fall $5 billion short of what's needed for health and education. This is the financial accountability officer, Peter Weltman, saying in his economic outlook that the budget report that those services will far exceed what the government has allocated for them. We project Ontario's budget deficit will increase to $8.5 billion this fiscal year, up from $7.4 billion last year, marking the third consecutive year of higher deficits. Oh, and there's the deficit number there from the FAO. What, did you think that the Conservatives, the Progressive Conservatives, were going to dial down spending? Was that your impression when you voted for Doug Ford, as a majority of the province did, that, that you were going to you know, be, have less in the way of red ink? Because that's not what is happening. There's an increase in spending. 
Now this is where we get into that $15 billion number, and you know that is fiction, if you've heard it before, that this whole thing that the liberals left a $15 billion deficit behind didn't happen. And when we talk about that bad blood between Kathleen Wynne and Doug Ford, it wasn't just the election campaign in 2018. After Ford wins government, he then decides to go on a blaming witch hunt, saying it's $15 billion and there's malfeasance and I'm going to get a committee together and we're going to look into it and we're going to call Kathleen Wynne on the carpet. And they did all of those things and then they issued a report that said, nothing to see here. No, it's going to be so awkward tonight. So good. Now, as 2019 draws to a close, what should Jolly St. Nick mark beside Ontario Premier Doug Ford's name? Naughty or nice? You know, that's complicated because 2019 has really been a tale of two governments and two leaders. In June, after months of outcry and plummeting poll numbers, Ford shuffled his cabinet and put new faces in the key portfolios of finance, education, and children's services. At the same time, a cronyism scandal cost Ford, Ford's mercurial chief of staff, Dean French, his job, and he was replaced by Jamie Wallace, an experienced and even-tempered political operative. Those changes marked the beginning of a new look and a new tone for the administration. The government has walked back controversial policies. It went back to the drawing board on autism services, deep six proposed changes to environmental regulations, and even, in the words of the union, opened up the piggy bank to keep educational support workers on the job. Ford himself has dialed down the bombast and curbed his more combative tendencies. And when MPPs returned to Queen's Park back in October, the partisan temperature was considerably lower. Rote standing ovations were replaced by conciliatory statements about getting along for the betterment of the province. The sudden change in direction is enough to give some observers whiplash. But, for one, Beach's East York NDP MP Rima Burns-McGowan is not buying it. Quote, It is important to understand that while the Premier and his caucus are yelling less and on the surface appear more put together, their perspectives have not changed, said Burns McGowan. Even if most progressive conservative policies remain the same, Ford seems to have learned the value of being just plain boring. Premier Bill Davis famously set the template of never too hot never-too-cold leadership in Ontario that was successfully copied by Dalton McGuinty. And after starting 2019 as a disruptor, Ford now appears to be striving for the middle of the road. So, as Santa mulls over whether it will be coal or candy for the Premier, perhaps the choice isn't just between naughty or nice. The truth at least in the latter part of 2019, is Ford was nicer. Welcome back to the program. We have some developing news coming out of Pensacola, Florida right now, and that is that uh, the city of Pensacola is now declaring 
that is currently experiencing a cyber attack. The mayor of Pensacola saying it is weekly press conference that almost all computer communication systems at City Hall are down. Now, the reason I'm talking about what's happening in Pensacola is because the mayor there says it's unknown if this cyber attack is connected in any way to a shooting at a military base in Pensacola on Friday that uh, left three dead. And that has been declared to be a terror incident. The FBI, presuming that the shooting at the Naval Air Station in Pensacola, Florida, that left three sailors dead, quote, was an act of terrorism. That is according to the FBI special agent leading the investigation, and that was what was said yesterday. A 21-year-old second lieutenant from the Royal Saudi Air Force and a student naval flight officer opened fire on Friday in a classroom building. And now, as I've just mentioned, we have this news coming out that it, it appears that the city of Pensacola is under a cyber attack. We do not know if those two things are connected. Big day for commuters, especially in the east end of the GTA, beginning today. The final phase of the 407 expansion is open to drivers. That connects the 407 to the new Highway 418 to Highway 35 and 115. This Highway 418 will provide another north-south connection from Highway 407 to the 401. The extension adds 14.2 kilometers to Highway 407 and the new Highway 418. Ken it adds more options for commuters and for families. That is according to the government website that announced this thing today. Our Jamie Marocker is traveling the new road. And joins me on the line. Hi, Jamie. How's it going? Did you drive it first? Were you first on the road? I was the first person on that extension. How cool is that? Well, it depends. When you get the bill, you might not be so excited. Hey, I'm not paying for it. Oh, I see. Put it on the corporate time. I see how this goes. That's right. So uh, give me a sense of, I, I just kind of ran through and sort of blurbed through the numbers there, and I don't, I'm not sure I got it right, to tell you the truth. What, what are we talking about in terms of extensions here? Okay, so this is the final portion of the full 24-kilometer extension, and what we're talking about is about 14.2 kilometers that's going to attach um, Highway 35, and Highway 115 just south of Peterborough. So we were just kind of outside the Oshawa area. Um, really, I think the, the main thing for drivers on this road is you can get from the 407 to the new toll road, the 418, and from there you can get right on the 401. So this is really an easy connection for people to get into the city, especially if they're living in rural areas. You're going to have to ignore the uh, sound in the background, Alan. I'm really sorry. It's pouring right now. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you were just listening to some music or something. I, I wasn't sure. Um, yes, it's pouring rain here as well uh, down at Chorus Key. It's raining pretty much right across the GTA. When you talk about rural areas, that is uh, really an underdeveloped area, and you can kind of get the sense that now that new highway is in there, that is going to change in a big way. Yeah, I absolutely think this is going to be a big deal for commuters, especially um, out this way. You have to remember that this was an early finish to this project. It wasn't slated to be done until 
2020, likely January 2020, so we're a month or two ahead of schedule, uh, depending on when they had anticipated it to be done. The other thing that you have to remember is, while this is a provincially owned portion of the 407, unfortunately, you're still going to be tolled for it. I know there's been some calls for it to be a non-tolled portion of the 407. However, uh, the government has decided it will be tolled. And in addition to that, the 418 is a new toll road as well. Good news that comes with it is if you already have a transponder and you already use the 407, you're going to get all of those um, those tolls on the same bill. You know, I, there's few things in this province that makes people angrier than the 407. It just, <laughs> it irks people to no end. And uh, sometimes I'm not entirely certain why. I think it's obviously the historical deal, but people don't like toll roads. So do you get a sense that people are actually going to use it? Oh, yeah. I mean, people use the 407 all the time. Um, Unfortunately, I think, what is it, 99 years that we had sold it away for or something like that. So we have a long time to go still. Um, I do think there is a practical reason to toll roads. If you talk to any um, kind of transportation expert uh, when it comes to congestion, that is usually one of their responses on how to minimize congestion because some people won't, like you said, use the road at all. So it kind of allows there to be less vehicles on the road and people, therefore, to move faster. So I do think that this road will get some use, but it will be like much of the 407, where it's a little bit quicker getting home versus uh, the 401, the 403, the Gardner, that sort of thing. And the reason it will be quicker is because people don't want to pay. I mean, that's that's, right. that's the bottom line, isn't it? I know. Well, I mean, look, for me... The convenience is worth it. I know that when my husband worked outside of the city, he was working in Vaughan, to get back into the city, he used it. The convenience was definitely worth it. But for a lot of people, it is extraordinarily costly. In some cases, it's costing people upwards of $500 a month just to take it from, say, um, Milton into the city back and forth every day for a month. So it is an expensive um, addition, but you're paying for the convenience. Jamie Morocker is a Global News reporter who was the first. To, now, were you driving or were you the passenger, the first passenger? I was driving because my camera guy had to shoot. Really? Isn't yes. that a, I think that's a union grievance, isn't it? Don't, don't, don't say that. Wait, did I just say that on the air? No. It's a union grievance. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate you being on the program. Take care. All right, and you can see Jamie's report on that new extension to that toll highway tonight on Global News at 5.30 and at 6. And I wonder what you think about toll roads, because there's been a bit of a change, a bit of a shift, I think, in the thinking about toll roads. And I think for those of us who, you know, navigate the city uh, on on a regular basis, you wonder, what if we had, I don't know, what if we made, you know, the gardener a toll what if we took that money and actually legitimately put it into an alternative that transit that actually worked? I mean, these are all pie-in-the-sky things, and it tends to be what happens is they just put the toll in and nothing ever gets built, and you just don't have no option or no opportunity, but there are no uh, option to do something different or get there in a different way. But Toronto's East-West Toll Highway is a road that everyone loves to hate, and I think that that needs to change. I think it needs to change as we go forward. Certainly, it was a terrible deal, an awful deal by the progressive conservatives. But tolling, I think it's coming. I think there's more of it, and I don't think there's any way to turn back the time on that. We see it in other major centers, downtown congestion taxes. Call it what you want. I think it's coming to this city. It is coming more to this region.
Well, it was 20 years ago on Saturday that a gruesome discovery at Samuel Smith Park in Etobicoke set off a desperate search for answers. What you are about to hear next is a trip back in time with the homicide detective who helped solve one of this city's most notorious and sickening crimes. For me, this is a story I have never forgotten. I had recently moved to Toronto. It was one of the first big stories that I covered as the crime reporter for Global News back in 1999. I, like so many, spent night after night reporting from the frozen shores of Lake Ontario as police officers dug through the park looking for evidence. Here is a special listen to an upcoming television program on Global News called Crime Beat. This is a city's lost child, the Farah Khan story. A snowy walk takes a former detective back in time. How long has it been since you've been back here, Rolf? This will be the first time since January 2000. Rolf Prizer was a homicide detective when a gruesome discovery was made here. So this is where, right down in here, is where the initial bag, if memory serves me correct, was just found right in here. In December 1999, a woman saw a couple burying bags. When they left, she looked in a bag that they had tried to hide. So she opened it up and immediately she saw the hand in the forearm. So she closed it. It was, uh, you know, horrific for her to see that. Um, no doubt uh, something that she would never have thought she would live to see. What followed would grip the city. The memory of it haunts not only Prizer, but also those of us who covered the story. The area that police are interested in looks a lot like this section of the park. Police find more bags containing parts of a child, but not enough to identify the victim. It's a horrific crime, and uh, even, uh, you know, save that there might be some explanation for it, to dismember a child like that is just beyond uh, what anybody could imagine. Who is this young child? As the weeks pass, Prizer fears the case is slipping away. There were some very dark days. I remember, you know, meeting with the media out just out here, and and uh, sort of, you know, in very sort of dejected ways, saying, you know, again, we're not successful today. We haven't found anything. Desperate, police hold an extraordinary news conference. This is a right lower arm. It's been dismembered through the elbow joint. The deputy chief coroner shows an X-ray of the victim's severed forearm, and there's more. The four to six year old girl may be of South Asian origin. An elementary school teacher in Etobicoke hears this and contacts police. She has artwork, a finger painting, from a girl who supposedly had moved back to Pakistan. It's the break police need. Because the prints that were found on the artwork matched the fingerprints of the remains that we had found, and specifically the left middle finger. So now this was a huge, huge break for us because now we identified her, finally. Although we didn't have all our remains, at least we had focus. And uh, I gotta tell you, like thinking back, um, that was an emotional moment. The victim, 
five-year-old Farah Khan. Within a week, her father and her stepmother would be arrested and charged with her murder. Hey, get, get some water, please. Farah's birth please. mother would come to Toronto for the funeral. The president of the International Muslims Association remembers the day. I can recall seeing passersby stood firm in showing respect to Farah. It was like uh, the day, the moment, that moment, like the, the Toronto stood still. Farah's father, Muhammad Khan, would be convicted of first-degree murder. Her stepmother, Kaniz Fatima, second-degree murder. Farah Khan's gravesite is in a cemetery in Vaughan. Despite the years, Rolf Prizer, like so many, has never forgotten. I celebrate her milestone birthdays, uh, just like personally. You know, um, so, I mean, during the trial, she would have turned 10. Uh, her 19th birthday, you know, just out of thought, 21st and 25th. It's a case we'll never forget. So the impact is lasting until our last days. It'll always be there. That is former Toronto homicide detective Rolf Preiser talking about the 20th anniversary of the discovery of body parts in Etobicoke Park and what that set in motion. Mohammed Khan, Farah Khan's father, remains in prison, convicted of first-degree murder. According to Preiser, it is unlikely he will ever get out. Kaniz Fatima, Farah's stepmother, is out on escorted parole. We contacted Corrections Canada for more information about their whereabouts, but none was provided. Well, hello, and thank you so much for spending some of your time with us today. This situation in New Zealand is absolutely terrifying. It is not clear if there are any Canadians among the dead and missing after a volcanic island in New Zealand erupted today. Dozens of tourists, including many from a Royal Caribbean cruise ship, were exploring the moon-like surface of White Island. James Longman reports at least five people are confirmed dead, and police say both New Zealanders and overseas tourists were among those who were killed, missing, or injured. The dead are among those rescued, and since the island is still too dangerous to access, it's not known how many more may be hurt. The island is covered with volcanic material, and a no-fly zone is in place, with New Zealand now calling in its military to help. The danger of a second eruption still very real. In Ottawa, the Liberal government is taking steps to deliver on its campaign promise to lower taxes for the middle class. New tax cuts, which uh, basically apply before you begin paying taxes, the amount you earn before you start to pay taxes, go up by almost $2,000. So it means the first $15,000 of your earnings are tax-free. Again, they will be phased in over four years. They will be fully implemented by 2020. And when fully implemented, individuals will save close to $300. Pardon me, it will be fully implemented in 2023. It begins in 2020, pardon me. By 2023, single individuals save $300 and families save nearly $600. Now, would you take home less money 
in return for working a shorter work week. For example, in four days instead of five. Well, Microsoft says it has seen a significant rise in productivity during a test of a four-day work week. As part of its so-called work-life choice challenge, Microsoft Japan closed its offices all five Fridays in August but paid its employees for a full 40-hour week. Managers reported a nearly 40% rise in productivity compared with August 2018. Previous experiments with a 32-hour work week found people more energized after a three-day weekend and feeling compelled to get more done during their four days on the job. Jim Ryan, ABC News. I wonder if that would apply to you. Do you think if they paid you the same amount of cash and said, well, you only have to come in here four days, not five, would you just up your productivity? Would you dial back on the online shopping? Would you actually, would you stop going to get so many coffees during the course of the day? Would you not go on TikTok or Snapchat? Would you work harder? I don't know. If it's four Fridays in August and it's a test thing where they, you know, you know the information's getting back to the company and obviously you, you like this whole idea of the four, you know, the four-day thing. So you're going to do your best. You're going to make sure you're going to get a good impression. Let's keep this four-day work week in August please. But then if it goes beyond being a test thing, if it becomes absolutely just enshrined, then you're just going to be like, yeah, it's Thursday. Cutting out early. It's Thursday. See ya. Going on at City Hall, you may have heard about this parking permit thing, this overnight parking permit discussion about whether or not all city streets should have overnight parking. Here's Jamie Tawil on that. City Council will soon consider the plan that could bring overnight permit parking to almost every street in the downtown core, and should it prove successful, the idea would likely spread to Midtown and beyond. Both Toronto and East York Community Council backing this plan. Right now, the rule is you can only park on the road for three hours, but some streets are rarely patrolled, which means, in some cases, the people who live there have been able to park for free. About 21,000 spaces would be made available as part of this plan and cost anywhere from 20 to 60 bucks a month. Council thinks allowing for permits on many of these roads would generate upwards of $1.7 million every year. Jamie Tawil, Global News. All right, time for some truth-telling on this. First of all, I don't know what part of the city is not patrolled regularly. Any place I've ever lived, and I've lived in a number of places, all on the east side, but all of the neighborhoods, if you park there overnight, you're getting a ticket. I mean, it's not even a roll of the dice. It's like like 80-90% guaranteed. I mean, if you do not have a ticket in the morning, you're like, whoa, what, what, somebody called in sick, obviously. And then here's some truth from Mike Layton, city councilor, who says, when we talk about this being a proposal, whether or not city councilors like it or not, it's going to happen. It's not often that decisions like this are overturned by city council, so I suspect that we'll have the same outcome at the end of the day, but I suppose anything's possible. Okay, but here is also the truth of the matter. We are talking about an incredibly small number of streets. You heard the numbers there. They sound like a lot, but in terms of overnight parking and permit parking around the city, 
This is very small. This is small potatoes, folks. Here's Mike Leighton again. Most streets that need street parking have had it added already. Sometimes there's one or two streets that, that don't have it, and because of a, of a new development or, or, or perhaps an increase in the number of, of people who own cars on the street, sometimes there's, a, there's um, uh, a request made for it and a discussion that happens amongst the community. Uh, but it is, uh, it is rather, like we're, we're talking maybe one or two of these a year that we have to deal with as individual councillors. So, in other words, this is much ado about nothing. And you know what that is? Awkward. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. If you think we have troubles with a bombardier, this now just out from New York City, where the Metro Authority in New York's says their newest subway cars break down more frequently than some that have been running since the mid-1980s. The gleaming new subway cars, which began to go into service two years ago, cost nearly two million bucks each, failed an average of every 127,000 miles between March and October. Now guess, and I'm just going to throw this out there, guess who made them? Bombardier. Oh, yes. Uh, Are you interested in adopting a dog? Perhaps you are interested in perhaps not uh, just adopting a local dog, because where's the glamour in that? Apparently, there is a growing market to city-dwelling dog lovers looking to adopt international pooches. It's an industry that is a rising phenomenon in Canadian cities. Rescue agencies based here will fly dogs to Canada from places like Mexico, El Salvador, Egypt, where dog overpopulation is a big issue. There's a program manager at Toronto Animal Services that said, started realizing in Toronto that they, we were winning the war on dog overpopulation 15 years ago, so there are fewer local dogs now available for adoption So that's where agencies like Save Our Scruff have come in. This charity partners with rescue agencies in the southern U.S. and farther afield to bring needy dogs to Canada. And I can tell you, last year around this time, I was in Chile. I was in the streets of Santiago. uh, And the number of dogs there, it's just incredible. There are dogs everywhere. Just, just, Just stray dogs everywhere. And on the flight back, the woman right behind us was bringing home two dogs. Went to Chile, got a couple of dogs, brought home some Chilean dogs. So that's something you can do if you're interested in that kind of thing. Hey, the Golden Globe nominations are out, and they are dominated this time around by Netflix. The streaming service has four films up for Best Picture, four series nominated for the top television awards, and 34 total nominations. What I love about Nicole... Marriage Story led all films with six nominations. You followed orders. And its mob epic, The Irishman, landed five nominations. You got rewarded. Including Martin Scorsese for Best Director. We're ready for you, Your Majesty. Netflix was the top-nominated television network with 17, while HBO followed in second with 15 nods, including four for the series Chernobyl. I'm Ben Thomas. 
So it's a good year to be Netflix, apparently. Christian Selowitz is a Global News online journalist and joins me in studio to talk about the Golden Globe nominations. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, I It was last weekend that I took nine hours to watch <laughs> The Irishman, but this is obviously great news for Netflix, not just for that movie, but for all of the other films they have on there. Isn't it amazing? I mean, like two years ago, you wouldn't have any nominations for Netflix, and now they're leading the pack with 34 nominations across TV and movies. Not just TV anymore. They're actually doing movies now, right? And, and I mean, it's, when, it, when you come to a movie like The Irishman, mm-hmm. I don't know why, I mean, I guess there would be a certain number of people who would say, no, I'm going to go spend the money and see it on the big Screen. Yeah, like the cinema files will definitely want to go see it on the big yeah, screen. Yeah, those, yeah, those. But for everybody else, it's like, well, I'm already paying for the thing, so... Yeah, I think it's actually pretty interesting. It kind of showcases uh, new trends, um, not even really new trends anymore in movies and, and uh, TV. No one wants to go to theaters anymore, you know? Wouldn't you rather just sit on your couch? Especially well, I would. Especially if it's 3.5 hours or whatever. Well, You're not going to want to... This is the thing. Yeah, absolutely. But um, it's an interesting trend to see. And then when we see these other ones, like the Marriage Story, uh, the Two Popes, or so on and so forth, you, you have to wonder, is this sustainable, the kind of money that Netflix is putting in, just pouring cash into development to get this, you know, all of these movies on their service? And now we have so many other competing services. Yeah, that's the thing. So, uh, you know, Netflix, if I were Netflix, I'd be a little scared. Um, the thing is, they're just dominating so much. As we can see with these nominations, it's it's Netflix is the ultimate champion in this arena, though it should be concerned with there's a total rise in uh, streaming services, as we all know. Uh, and eventually over the next few years, I can guarantee there's going to be so much competition that we might even not see movie studios as noms anymore. Because interesting, for example, I, I noticed that the morning show, is that what it's called? Right. Is that is Apple? Apple? The Apple one, yeah. So you got a, you got a nomination. Multiple, t- multiple not just no- one. Just Okay, so so now we have the situation where you're going to have all of these streaming services, all with products and shows that are nominated, and the only way for you as a consumer to consume that is to sign up to all of these over-the-top streaming you gotta services. you got to buy it. You got to buy it if you want to watch. So it's not just a situation of like, well, all right, I'll go and see that movie. I will go and see that it, or I'll watch that program. You got to, you got to sign up for a service. That's right. So you're going to be paying like, you know, seven ninety nine, nine ninety nine a month and maybe you'll get access to some cool stuff. But here's the thing. Would you rather pay nine ninety nine a month or would you want to pay 20 bucks to go see a movie? Well, One I, movie. Yeah. You know, so well, you're kind of like paying... I mean, it, it depends on how you look at it, right? How much are you consuming? But um, yeah, it's really interesting to see the shift away from us actually having to leave our houses. We don't have to leave at all. We can watch all this award-winning stuff right from home. And the, the Golden Globes are always a precursor to the Oscars. Yes. So what we see here, we are likely to see aped in the Oscars. For the most part, but I will give you a word of caution, which is that the Golden Globes are known for awarding very strangely. So they're going to, oftentimes they pick the, the strangest possible winner out of the five nominees and go with that just because it's the golden globes trust me when you when this year you'll see it i also find that they will go with a more populist fare often than the oscars the oscars really wants to be more highbrow yes the oscars is definitely more highbrow and as we all know the golden globes is the fun ceremony where the celebrities get to drink and you know, sometimes there's a bit of uh, action happening at the tables and up at the speeches. So, you know, it's a little bit more enjoyable. To and watch, Ricky Gervais is hosting. And Ricky again. Gervais is returning again. As and he says this is his last time. I th- hasn't he said that every time? He has. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. I want to play a little clip from The Irishman here. 
Hello? Is that Frank? Yes. Hiya, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. I heard you paint houses. Yes, I do, sir. That is uh, Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa, which I think he steals that movie. But w- this thing is, is this thing a shoe in? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's going to at least at least win one. Um, I'm not sure necessarily about the acting category, whether it'll win there. But I, yeah, 100 uh, percent. It's in the it's in the front runner for sure. Scorsese for director, yeah. probably. Yeah. And that was another big thing that happened this morning. People were really upset that um, no female directors were nominated, especially when there were a few in the category that could have been nominated but weren't. So, you know, Greta Gerwig is one, and she did uh, this new version of Little Women that's coming out at Christmas. Uh, people are really mad about that. Um, and there's a few other female directors this year who um, didn't get any nods at all. So, And you wonder what kind of, how that backlash will, often we'll see it begin as sort of a ripple, and then it gains momentum as we get yeah, closer to the award night. It's already building now, so we'll see what happens with that. And also, you know, it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty white nominations list again, so we're seeing this kind of backward slide into what it was before. So either you've got your three and a half hour, um, you know, CGI Goodfellas-esque movie, or you have a much smaller film, and this is a clip from Marriage Story. And I loved you, and I didn't want to lose you, but I'm in my 20s, and I didn't want to lose that too, and I kind of did. And you wanted so much, so fast, I didn't even want to get married. There's so much I didn't do. <laughs> Thanks for that. You're welcome. I can't believe I didn't know you forever! That's like Saturday night at Whoa. my house. <laughs> Whoa. Just... I'm uncomfortable just hearing you, This is as far from a joke as you can get. That's not funny. <laughs> it's not funny. Divorce is not funny. I'll tell you that. I tell you firsthand, no jokes. Uh, this thing leads the Golden Globes with six nominations, including Best Motion Picture and Drama. Tell me about it. Yeah, so essentially what we're seeing is like a front row seat to a really uh, non-harmonious, as you just heard, divorce. Um, And it is uh, an emotional, heart-wrenching, very gut-punch type movie. Um, It's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of, you know, thinking. And and I've never been through a situation like that, so I don't know. But it sounds just so uncomfortable. Incredibly uncomfortable to watch. Uh, Noah Baumbach is the director of The Squid and the Whale, his previous movie. Uh, and again, he does very well at these sort of much more kind of almost Baroque, small, intimate settings. And it's very much different than, you know, a lot of the more populist fare, you know, the, you know, whether we're talking about the Avengers or Game of Thrones or even, you know, you know, big popcorn eating movies like The Irishman. What else do you like in motion pictures? Uh, I love Jojo Rabbit. That was one of my favorite movies of the year um, about, uh, you know, uh, it was uh this is the Hitler. Yes, it, I didn't want to. I didn't know how to say it properly, but it's a. Yeah, it's basically about. It's uh, about Hitler. You can Nazis. just say Hitler. <laughs> yeah, you can still say Hitler. Right? I, just, I hate the word. Okay. Uh, well, I uh, understand why. It makes sense. Uh, Keep it down. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was one of my favorite movies of the yeah. year. Um, Knives Out has been getting rave reviews. I actually, I'll admit, I haven't seen it yet, but um, that's been everyone loves it. Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood, as you all know, everyone loved that one. I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but uh, you know, I can see how it's nominated. Uh, Joker, 
uh, is another one that we, you and I have discussed before. Right. Um, no surprise to see that there. Nominees for Best Drama TV Series, and this is going to be interesting to a lot of people who do binge-watching like I do. You have Big Little Lies. I haven't seen the second season. I thought the first season was good. I haven't gone to the second season. The Crown looks sumptuous. I don't know what the point of it is. Killing Eve, I have not been able to get back into that other than watching the first little bit. Morning Show, and then my favorite right now, Succession. So I'm just going to cut to the chase here, and I'm just going to say Succession is going to win probably everything. Uh, It's so huge right now. Everyone under the sun is watching that show. Um, It's a nice thing for HBO to have. Uh, The Morning Show nomination in that category is just weird to me. I don't know why that's there. Uh, I would be shocked if they pulled in the win. But I'm going to tell you right now it's going to be successful. If you you haven't seen it, it's... uh Sort of loosely based on what would you be like, you know, Fox News, the Rupert Murdoch family generally, you know, you know the, the idea of like a, a Murdoch type character and, you know, which of his children does he pass on the reins of the company to. And interesting that I, I noticed that Cousin Greg, who's kind of a breakout star, was at the Raptors game recently oh. and he was shown on the big screen and people just went nuts. And you got a kind of sense that, you know what, this film ha- or this TV series has kind of jumped into that next level, that next hierarchy where it's not just, you know, people watching it, but it's actually kind of a, a cultural thing. Yeah. And like every single person talks about it when they come home, when they come into work on Monday. So I know that that's usually an indicator. Um, and then when you go into the comedy musical, you know, you have the the shows that have been doing very well. Um, we have stuff like Barry, Fleabag, Marvelous Miss Maisel. Like those those shows are all they've been winning awards for years now. So um, I expect them to continue that. Barry, especially another HBO show. How about Chernobyl? You think that'll pick yeah. up? Yeah, I think for limited series, it's kind of a no brainer. But I, I I might be biased with that. Uh, I thought Chernobyl was amazing. Sure, so. because there's nothing a little like a little radioactivity yeah, to go with my Hitler. I guess. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> Chris Jenselowitz taking it home with the Nazis. Nazi reference to close out the program. Thank you so much for spending your time with us this hour. Back Anytime. to you.